You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. You're back listening to Three Makes Baby podcast. And this is a, I know I say this a lot, but this really is a super special episode. I have uh, five parents on the phone with me, and they are all parents to donor-conceived children, ranging in ages from newborn-ish to uh, 15 years old. So it's really, really exciting to be able to talk to this many parents at the same time. And another thing that makes this very special is that we are actually going to be talking about some of the more controversial topics surrounding donor conception. And I thought it was really important for us to talk about it because, you know, one, it's hard to talk about. Two, it's really, um, it can be misunderstood, especially when we post just, you know, static posts posts on social media or um, make just comments in isolation that are maybe taken out of context. I think a lot of confusion and misunderstandings can occur. And so I thought it would be great to have this, this really unplanned, very natural flowing conversation about it. Um, and I did present these, I did come up with four questions that I wanted to ask them based on accounts and information I've seen and donor conceived individuals that I've spoken with over the years um, and just kind of get their thoughts and just have it be just a conversation. And, you know, you'll have people that feel differently and different, you know, stages that each parent is at. So I really want to respect everybody's place and everybody's stage and where you're at uh, because it is a process that changes over time. And so I think we're just all here to learn from each other. So that's the goal. So that being said, I want to tell you these special, special, amazing people that I've told them I've been a big fan of every one of them. And it's completely couldn't be more true um, that are on this call with me. And I will start with, you remember Sarah Humphreys. She was a guest that was on the podcast um, this earlier this year. Um, and she has, uh, is also a therapist. She has two accounts. One is her personal account at Sarah Beth Humphreys. And then she also has her professional account at Sacred and Free. So thank you, Sarah, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I also have Becky Kearns of at Defining Mum. She is here. And of course, I'm sure most of you know Becky. I've, she's been on a couple times in the podcast and she is over at Defining Mum. She's based out of the UK and she's involved in a tremendous amount of initiatives and projects around donor conception and donor conception parenting. Uh, I also have Gail here with um, donor Conception and Beyond. You may have seen her account on Instagram and on Facebook as well. She uh, is great about raising perspectives and issues around donor conception that I've seen that are quite unique and a lot of people aren't talking about them. So I always go over to her account and, and see what her, she knows because she's just, she's full of knowledge. And then I have Vince. Vince is here. He has uh, been a leader of the Donor Conception Canada group. Um, you can find that over on Facebook. And Vince is, has the oldest donor-conceived child here today, with his oldest being 15. And 15, yeah. Yeah. So great to have you here, Vince. And then Alex, with Pursuing Fatherhood, has the youngest uh, baby here. <laughs> and with uh, how old is your baby now? She's 12 weeks now. Oh, 
So cute. 12 weeks. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And she's a doll. She is a doll. So um, again, thanks for everyone for being here um, and being willing to take on these, these tough topics for sure. So um, I'm going to go ahead and get started with the first one. And then whoever just wants to answer first, we can, you know, feel free. The first question I pose was when I come across a lot of um, donor conception accounts, and talk to older, you know, adults that are donor conceived. A lot of them are really off put by the business aspect of donor conception. Um, some of them go so far as to even say, you know, they feel like a product or a commodity. Um, any thoughts on this? I know this can be kind of a tough question or a tough aspect of it to, to think about. And when the babies and children are literal, it doesn't usually come up. But then there is that point in time when they have that you know, they learn more about how the world works and they realize, oh, there was money exchanged. Um, any thought, anybody want to speak first on that? I think, you know, for me, I, I had to think a lot about And this is Sarah, yes, by the I'm way. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, because I, it was something that came across my mind too, was how do I choose what egg bank I'm going to use and what does it mean about how much that they are paying the donor that we're, you know, that we, we ultimately chose. And for me, what it came down to was, you know, I, I really can only speak from, for the United States, right? But, but in our society, we use, we show value through um, monetarily. And so really shifting what it was that I was sh showing value in and for us, um, it was that we were really paying for her time and her experience and her ability to have qualified and competent medical care, um, and that we were sharing money, giving money as a way of showing value for all of that time and all that she was going through to help us in this. And it, and for us, it wasn't about placing a monetary amount on the value of who would be, you know, who ultimately became our son. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great point. So you can't put um, a monetary amount on a person's life. Um, there is no value that you can place. It's beyond that. Um, but, and, and yeah, you're really looking at it in terms of the money you spent. So I think that's a great way is to say, you know, money is a value currency. It's a currency. It's an, you know, a way that we, um, exchange and appreciates her time. So separating that out, I think that's really good. Does anybody else, you know, let me, I'll just pose this question too, as the challenge. Um, what if the child were to have more concerns about the, um, the people that are profiting from the, uh, from the donation itself? This is Vince here. I think you're on to something, but I have to confess that I'm something of an idealist. Uh, here in Canada, it's also illegal to pay for donations. And I know that Becky can speak to the UK experience. And there's a lot of discussion about that in the infertility industry. There are a lot of folks who want to start a business and view the altruistic requirement as squelching the supply of gametes. Because the fact of the matter is that there really are no Canadian gametes. We buy them all from the U.S. And so we're paying for gametes that have been purchased by people who were paid at least on some kind of, you know, time or effort recompense uh, for their donation. So there's, there's this altruistic ideology, which really resonates with me. And, and I think there's parallels to the way we run our blood banking system, that we want to 
avoid some of the perverse incentives that might arise by making it financially rewarding uh, for people to donate. Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, there are questions of supply and whether the market would better address them. But we used a sperm donor. And so we, the cost was even lower for us. And, and you could, you know, I could imagine one of my kids saying, so what am I worth? You know, the $300 you pay for some sperm. And I want to go back to the previous point that you made. Um, I mean, I feel it's their right to feel however they want to feel about it. I certainly hope that they're happy. And I certainly hope to offer them ways to look at things uh, that don't make them feel demeaned. Um, but I mean, it's their right to view it however they want. It's their life. It's their story. But I, I want to build on that point you made earlier, which is um, there are times when we exchange things of value as a token, when we recognize that we can't really repay someone for what they've done. And to me, the, you know, actuaries try to put a value on the human life. You know, is it $6 million, $11 million, what a person's lifetime contribution is, you know, as a way of setting recompense for, you know, hurricanes or floods or, or other disasters. I'll never have that kind of money ever in my life. And so the fact that we gave a few hundred dollars just to obtain some sperm to me is like, is like buying a guest dinner you know, a guest speaker at dinner, right? That doesn't recommend them for the time and trouble of coming all your way and preparing a lecture, uh, but it's a token and it expresses gratitude. Um, and that's, that's how I like to look at it. Um, and if my, my children are struggling with that at some point in the future, I'll, I'll share with them that perspective and invite them to look at it that way. Um, but again, I, I think ultimately it's, you know, it's their story. And I think, uh, one of the elements of their freedom is it's their story to make up what they will. Yeah, that's, that's true, Vince. And Gail, you have a child who is in middle childhood. Can you, do you have any thoughts about the cost that's involved in donor conception and maybe even what donors are compensated? I think that some people joke about this. Oh, I spent 20 grand or 50 grand to have you. Um, and I don't think they do that out of any, kind of malice or anything but it can be done out of ignorance and I think it's a really important point that I've learned from donor conceived people that it's not actually it's not funny um and I may have even done it myself when I was uh, ignorant prior to doing a lot of education about donor conception and listening to the voices of donor conceived people and in I mean in Australia you can't pay donors However, there are people that go overseas and use donors internationally. And, and having said that, I still had to pay for my sperm donor. Um, so uh, I've kind of deviated from your question a little bit, but I think it's uh, about, well, I think it's a really important point that we don't joke about it for a start um, and consider, yeah, and consider our children's feelings around the fact that they may feel like a commodity. Um, so, so as a starting point that we don't bring that up. Um, now, if my child asks me, I'll just be very transparent about the money involved. But I think Sarah made a really good point that we're paying for um, somebody, their time and the effort that they, they made to provide that gamete mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. Do, you, do any of you think that that possibly some things could be avoided and maybe some unethical decisions being made if if the it was a not-for-profit uh, if it was run by not-for-profit organizations 
with that? Do you think that would, yeah, go ahead, Vince. I think there is a body of ethics research too, if, if, to be fair, the whole question of the commodification of human parts, whether we buy and sell organs, whether we buy and sell blood, whether we buy and sell gametes, is tied into um, a long and time-honored tradition of concern about what it means if we go down the road of putting explicit money value on these various things and what implications it might have, what behaviors it might drive. So, I mean, I could see a donor-conceived person who is particularly aware of those ethical issues or particularly um, the, that kind of exploration and, and thinking resonates with them, you know, really then asking, well, you know, am I worth, you know, $234, you know, um, you know, as a point of wondering what it meant to be exchanged. I don't have a practical answer. As yeah. Yeah. And I think there's periods of time when you maybe it's when you, children are first realizing that there was money exchanged. You know, maybe that's the most relevant po- time that that would come in, up that they would realize that and go, whoa, and try to make sense out of it. And then after kind of ga- getting to understand it a little bit better and the complexities of it and even how you explained it, Vince, um, that, that they would understand that a little bit better. But it is, you know, that they could separate themselves as a person from, this, like you said, this exchange. Um, and that's hard, it's, but it's, I think as parents, we can do things to help. When we reiterate that, let's say, you know, the most common thing that came up for me, uh, we adoption costs somewhere around $25,000 for us and this paperwork travel, the dossier, you know, the, um, the hotels. Um, and then, you know, of course, paying off several different organizations, not, I mean, it sounds bad to say paying off, but paying several organizations in China uh, and you don't know exactly where all that money's going to, but you know it was the most up and up we could deal with when you're looking at international adoption. But you know, just when when people would ask me in the literally in the grocery store, people would say, "How much did she cost?" And you know, I of course was very cognizant of this, so I would look at them and say, "Do you mean how much did the adoption process cost?" <laughs> so I would do a really make sure I was very um, deliberate when I spoke about it um, from the time she was very little, so she knew that there was never a value placed on her, on her as a, as a human. And I think Gail, you spoke to it as well saying, you know, let's not make jokes about it. Cause even though it may seem like, Oh, it's a funny joke. We're getting a laugh. They as children internalize that. And they're so concrete and literal during certain stages of development that we don't know how that they're receiving that. So it's best that we separate value of life from the, the value of these moments. Um, so, yeah, I think if I, just yes. to give my perspective on this. Um, sure, Blackie. So when I first kind of was starting to educate myself and heard some of these views, I was genuinely really, really shocked that someone would feel this way. Um, because for me, going through the process, I never, ever would once look at it like I was buying a commodity. Um, for me, the, the egg donor for everything she went through to have the treatment and the time and everything else, for me, it was always right that she was compensated for that. And yeah, I, I think I find it, I find it really hard to understand how someone would feel that way. And I think hearing more of these views helps us learn how to talk about it, like Gail said about not talking about the cost of all the treatments and making a joke out of it. Um, but yeah, I think just for me, I just wanted to express how 
kind of so it was so far from my mind when we went through that process around the monetary exchange um and i think it would be so far from many recipient parents minds as they're going through that process so yeah i think it's it's something that's really important to talk about um for me it it almost dehumanizes the um process by putting the monetary value on it and and for me it it's a human being um so i could never ever put a value on that um except that we to make our family we needed to use um some help from science and we needed to use help from a doctor and help from an egg donor so that did lead to a form of a cost um but i feel that that cost is justified in terms of what that person had to go through to give us um the eggs that then led to the creation of our children mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, and I'm, i think you raise a good point that it's not always on top of on the top of a person's mind that their child might someday um be curious and wonder or just not realize that was part of it um and then have a a, a moment to go whoa wait a minute what does that mean um just sort of to add to to what Becky and Vince were saying, it's so interesting even to hear Becky say, you know, I never thought about um, that I was paying the donor for this life because I didn't, I didn't either. Um, and so it it sort of speaks to me that there's a possibility that there's something lost in translation by not having the language to describe what it is we're paying paying for that then is ultimately being having giving the ability to turn things into jokes um and that if that's part of how we're telling our story um it lends itself to what our children then are picking up on and how they're uh, understanding their story and sharing their story so by the time they're able to understand yes there was a monetary exchange there's already perspective that's been put to that now of course that doesn't mean that theirs wouldn't change based on their understanding and their knowledge of course um but the fact that it, it hasn't really been a part of you know becky was sharing that that wasn't a part of her story when she was choosing her donor it certainly wasn't wasn't a part of mine in terms of i was paying for my child's life, um, that if that was it, if I was able to communicate that really clearly in sharing my story, it would probably help. Yeah. And Becky, did you have something you wanted to add as well? Um, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say sort of, and again, I'm speaking from my perspective as a recipient parent. Um, sorry, my microphone's dropped. Can you hear me now? Um, so I'm just talking from the perspective of a recipient parent. And um, I just if the girls were to ever ask me about monetary value or anything like that and all i could say and this is a very emotional response is that i they they themselves are priceless i could i could not put any monetary value on having them because they we wanted them so badly and and but we would be completely open about kind of if they ask how much we spent um in our kind of quest to have our, our children then we would be open with them um and I kind of think in a way sometimes we we wanted them that much that we were willing to go as far as we did and i know that i'm not saying for one moment i want them to say oh, i'm really grateful that you did that because otherwise i wouldn't be here i'm not forcing any gratitude on them but that is kind of from our perspective we it was because they were wanted so much and like i said before we we had to because of our circumstances go through a particular process um which involved um medical uh, treatment and the help of somebody else that that meant there was a monetary value there yeah 
And Alex, we haven't heard from you yet. You have a daughter that is still, I think, in her first year of life. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know it's a little bit different, um, a lot different probably um, for, you know, sperm donation versus egg. Um, but I know for us, um, you know, I, I didn't love the commercialization of it either. Um, even as a recipient parent, you know, getting um, emails about uh, we're, we're running a, a special on this certain donor and there's a buy one, get one, you know, um, vial promotion going or something. I, you know, that that made me uh, feel kind of gross about the whole situation, too. Um, so I would I would completely understand any any concerns that she might you know, have about that. And like everyone else said, I plan on being completely open and honest about all of this and trying to be, um, you know, as understanding and empathetic about all of these processes as possible and just try to explain, um, you know, where our minds were. One thing that we did kind of have a little bit of control of that um, we tried to use to our advantage is just taking this one step further, you know, considering who we were going to use um, as a donor and, and really thoroughly screening as much as we could. Um, and so for me, that included um, finding a, a donor that was going to be, um, you know, at least um, <laughs> from the information that I could gather, going to be doing this for um, at least somewhat of the quote unquote right reasons, you know, I, just, um, Obviously, there's a monetary uh, gain involved for for uh, donors, but to listen to the interviews and the um, you know read the essays and things like that, and to and to see things that yeah, I would I would be completely open and willing to you know sit down and have a conversation with with uh, any children that are born um, be you know because of me, and um, I think at least I, I'm hoping that that is going to be you know kind of the one step further. Um, you know, step there for us where if she, yeah, she being our daughter, um, ever wants to, you know, go, go have that conversation with him, that hopefully he would be open and willing to, to do that as well. And I'm, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure how much value that adds, but to me, it was a little bit um, comforting at least to have that uh, extra step in there as well. Yeah. Becky, you wanted to say yeah. something? Um, I was just listening to Alex then, and I just wanted to say that, how yeah I, I do feel there is a, a difference there I, i've never even thought of it like that in terms of um kind of special offer on this sperm donor or anything like that and i don't know whether there's also a slight difference in terms of how um different countries work because i, I wouldn't see that being as common in the uk or as overt or as um kind of the same sort of language used um so yeah it was just more of a um more of a kind of just a comment really rather than um, saying anything else. Yeah. And Sarah? Yeah, I had the same reaction um, when, when Alex said that too. Part of our story without getting into too much of it that, that we, we almost overlook sometimes is that um, in our process, we wound up, yes, we wound up using an egg donor and my son is um, genetically through an egg donor and my husband's sperm. However, we were very unsure all the way through our third IVF process if we would actually be able to make um, an embryo with uh, my husband's sperm. And so we had wound up splitting our site, that cycle using some uh, eggs were fertilized using my husband's sperm and some using a donor sperm. And, I, and it sort of it stuck out to me when Alex said that, how different the process felt 
um, when we were choosing our egg donor in terms of the, the how the conversations were happening and when we were um, sort of the, the, the advertisement side of it when there when we were going through the sperm banks. Um, so it, I just sort of validating that that was the experience for us, that it felt so different. Yeah. So separating the process from the person. And yeah, I think if you do that from an early age, um, you have conversations or even just one or two that where it comes up, um, you can maybe even head it off at the pass. I don't know. There's no perfect answer here. That's for sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to give our listeners a break and we will come back to another hard topic to talk about. And that is anonymity with donors. And so be sure to tune in next time to my very valuable podcast episode with these fantastic five, so I'm going to start calling you, parents that are offering their insight, wisdom, experience, and just really allowing themselves to explore these questions with you. Hopefully this helps. So tune in next time for the fantastic five. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Rupnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.